Welcome to another episode of Bleeding Edge Interviews. My name is Superdate, and I'm here to bring you another conversation with one of the top stars in the world of progressive rock and metal. If you're ever curious about what goes through the minds of the people who create all this music and what inspires them, well, this is the place to find out. In the world of Prague, there are a handful of titans of modern progressive music. One of those is Neil Morse. Now, if you're playing in his band, I think you can feel confident you made it. Randy George, of course, is the bassist for the Neil Morse band. So clearly, the man knows what he's doing just a little bit. And that particular band has a brand new live album out entitled An Evening of Innocence and Danger, Live in Hamburg. As usual, we find the Neil Morse band in excellent form. Randy, of course, being a part of that. And for those that didn't already know, Randy's got some solo albums out and is due to have a new one this September. He was kind enough to give me some time to sit down, talk about all of that, the live album, the new album, and just get some perspective from him on what it's like to play in the Neil Morse band. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Randy George, bass player for the Neil Morse band. How are you doing today, sir? I'm good. How are you? I'm very good. So, but I thank you for joining me today, sir. I appreciate your uh, sure. I appreciate your time and thank you for talking to me. Sure. Got some big things in the works, uh, as I see going on here, and as I've heard, obviously the biggest thing, the most prominent thing right at the moment, is you with the Neil Morse Band have just released a new live album, An Evening of Innocence and Danger, live in Hamburg. Uh, that came out the 14th, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yes, yeah. I believe so. Mm-hmm. I imagine that's making a big splash. I've listened to it myself, and you guys sound amazing as you usually do live but in particular i think that really captured a good evening on your part good yeah well we like playing in that venue we've uh, we always play there every time in hamburg though the market hall so um i think i guess they call it the mark Palais, but uh <laughs> the market hall is kind of what it translates to i imagine you could actually have a market there it looks like it's set up for vendors and stuff but uh right. the uh it's a unique venue. It's got that horseshoe uh, lighting truss. Only place oh. that I've ever has one. Um, but yeah, you know, we didn't film this on video. Uh, I don't think there was um, an intent, at least at the time of doing that show. There was no particular intent to use that show as the official release. We certainly didn't have any video. We couldn't even find good photographs. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, wow. you know. Uh, but somehow, um, I think Neil, I, I, I'm not sure what Neil did to, to determine that we should release Hamburg because we, we multi-track all the shows. Right. So he probably uh, listened to a, a number of them and felt like uh, either that or was just remembering that it was a really good show. But once we got him listened to it, and it's like, yeah, this, this was a good show. And yeah. we had a really good time. And uh, so it was a good choice. And a lot of people think, you know, well, you know, is there going to be a DVD? And it's like, um, no, we did not film it. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, the record label asked us to just do a live CD. They they didn't want another DVD. Right. This this time around, we we have the one from Morse Fest, so right, right. We have good video documentation of this particular show. Yeah, yeah. that's interesting. Is that because I always wondered you know, what went into planning a live album, 
But I guess in this day and age, is it common practice for people to to live track all the albums as you were talking or all the live performances as you were talking about and just pick the best one? Or do people tend to say, OK, we're going to record tonight's show and, and they plan that in advance? Or is it a kind of a mix uh, of approaches? Well, if you're just talking about audio, most likely um, most bands probably record, you know, all the shows as they can. Technology yeah. really easy. You're not really bringing. It used to be you had to bring a 24 track machine, tape right. machine, and teamsters and trucks and the whole works. Um, you, now you just need a laptop. <laughs> all these all these boards have interfaces, yeah. so you know you can take every channel to a track and record it as you're doing the show and mixing it. And it's all you, you know, you're just using up hard drive space. So yeah, it's, I think a lot of bands probably do that. Um, a lot of, a lot of guys have gotten into the practice of actually releasing every show that is good. Yeah. And, uh, even if it's not a frontline release, usually the, maybe it's a fan club release. Um, but yeah, I think the practice has probably gotten pretty, pretty common for most bands who are technologically aware and have some support. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's funny. It hadn't even occurred to me with the the portability and the ease of use with modern software and technology and all that. That you yes. know, easy peasy to just record all the shows and pick the best ones rather than have to go into the show going, uh oh this is the one we're recording live. Now I gather it probably is still that case when you're going to think about releasing a video that you aren't necessarily going to bring cameras and all the support crew for that for every show and record all of them and pick the best. But I guess to an extent, maybe that takes the pressure off a little bit because you no longer have to think too much about it. If it's just going to be a an audio recording, you no longer have to think about, oh God, tonight's the show we're recording for the album. I need to be on point. Yeah, you don't really think about that anymore. It's so commonplace. Yeah. I mean, we've got to doing everything we do in, in front of the cameras. Um, and we uh, try to record when we're making music as much as possible, uh, as much as is feasible or worthwhile. I have several yeah. tours where I have multi-tracks from most dates. Um, you know, I mean, who knows if I'll ever have the time to actually go and listen through them. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's just the world we live in now. It, but it's it's no different than it was back in the day. Yeah. If you look at live albums, oftentimes a, a live album would be songs called across four or five different shows, and right. they would just all a twenty-four track tape machine around. You know, in those days, they had semis, they had crew, they had teamsters, they had yeah. you know. Move big gear was not a problem back then. Right. Today's world has sort of eliminated the need to do that unless you're, you know, at an arena level or or higher, you know, stadium level. But um, for the kind of gigs, you know, that we do, uh, you know, we've never needed that level of production. It'd be nice to have it, but we've managed pretty well, I yeah, think, yeah. for not having all of that especially with lighting and so forth. Yeah. And it's interesting. I was kind of curious because I noted, you know, Neil Morse Band has for their the number of studio albums, a pretty high ratio of live albums as well. So I get to thinking, I wonder what propels that. Is it a matter of recognizing that you guys 
bring something special to the table when you're performing live. And it's interesting to hear from you that the record label actually requested it. So I guess that gives me the impression that not only do you guys sound great live, but the, these albums sell very well, because I can't imagine record companies asking for things that don't sell. Well, you, you always hope that something you put out is going to sell well. Yeah. You know, that's certainly always what everybody's hoping happens. But truthfully, the the amount of live albums that are sold, um, the numbers the numbers keep it from being huge. Right. Um, we you know we spend just enough and press just enough to fill you know the demand for it. Um, yeah. Well, the record label oftentimes probably doesn't feel that they uh, sell enough to be you know see the kind of numbers they want to see especially right. now for sony you know it's it's probably all a lot different for them as opposed to when when they were independent and they could yeah. pretty much do on it um but at the same time you just you just hope that people are going to want to buy it and that it's something that it's that it's worth buying you know this market's getting so saturated with everything from every direction these days back in the day it was pretty focused and people were pretty focused in on it. There wasn't a lot of peripheral stuff to keep distracting them or to take their attention away. So you could do a live album and it was really a big deal. Crampton comes alive. Yes. Songs. Yeah. Those albums really withstood, you know, seconds out. Yeah. Those albums withstood the test of time. And in many ways, they're, they're the gateways for most of the bands. I'm, I know that I probably had yes songs and seconds out first before I had even any of the studio stuff. I'm no kidding. That's amazing. So um, in, in this day and age, you get to that practice where every time you do a tour, you do an official release and and you, people come to expect that. Yeah. yeah. Come to expect it because you've set a precedence and created a pattern that you keep repeating. Um, so maybe this was a good time to break it, you know, coming back from touring after the pandemic. It was kind of a tough tour attendances were lower than than projected um so i i don't know if that really has anything to do with the performance because you know places like the marks la where we recorded this that that was pretty average you know we saw the same numbers as we usually see but there are issues where it was noticeable that there was probably less attendance and i get it. it it at that point, early 2002, you know, it was uh, just starting to come back. So I, I ventured to say next time around, we will probably end up doing, you know, full-blown uh, live DVD production. Yeah. So Very cool. Yeah, I, I have to imagine as well, too, that uh, the thing I've heard repeatedly is, you know, that coming back after the pandemic, a lot of bands were very much eager to get back out there and a lot of tours happened at the same time. And there was a lot of competition with one another for an audience. And, and I think the classic example that comes to my mind was almost a year ago. I know it was in September and there were literally, I think on one, either one night or one weekend, four shows I wanted to see. Yeah. And I could only see out of all of them, one of them. <laughs> and <laughs> And I was so frustrating because I, I they were all acts that I I'd not been able to see before. Um and 
you know, but here you go. It's, you know, end up kind of cannibalizing one another's audience uh, availability in that sense. I, I hope that's starting to shift in a more... Uh, it certainly more, looks... Was that? You know, it certainly looks as though, yeah. um, you know, touring is is coming back and audiences yeah. are and people are less afraid to, you know, to go and, and be there. And, and the threat of COVID shutting down your tour, which was huge. Right, yeah. Also something that's um, no longer, you know, an, an issue for the most part. So, yeah. Lot, Thank you for saving of, me from finishing that sentence because the word I wanted had escaped me. <laughs> well, yeah. Anyhow, um, yeah, so... Gotcha. So basically, yeah, we we put that album out. It, it you know we've been work uh, that's been in the works for a while. Obviously, yeah. we uh, I think it was probably right around the first of the year that we started talking about uh, they want a live album, and you know let's let's look at this one, the yeah. show here, and uh, so a good six months I guess yeah. between we start talking about it and then it actually comes out. It's been about six months. Most of during that time. Uh, I basically been writing, you know, a solo album and yeah. I just, I just released that. So I'm getting ready to release that. So. Yeah. Tell me about that a little bit. I, I was digging into your previous works and getting an idea of what you had done, because I'll, I'll admit I, as much as I try to be on top of everything, things slipped past me and I was not aware you had done solo albums before. And compared to what I'm hearing on the first single that, that you've released, um, Make darn it, make me real. Make uh -huh. it real. <laughs> Without written in front of me, my brain was not allowing me to get to it. Um, but make me real. Uh, it's it's a very different sound from your previous solo collections that I'm hearing. Uh, talk about that a little bit. Well, I wanted to this time. I wanted to try something different on on a solo record. Um, my idea was to do sort of a retro song singer songwriter kind of vibe at least for most of it you know yeah. mixed in with some other of what i typically do um and i had several pieces uh laying around and i still do uh, yeah. but i'm the greatest lyricist so you know finding a singer songwriter to work with to try to bring the songs alive um you know i'm more the guy that creates the sound uh, i'm not so much the songwriter i can create the music I can create an arrangement that'll support a song in form in a formula sort of way. Um, and in a way that's pretty much what I did with, with make me real. Uh, but that was the only one that I actually was able to uh, get a vocal to get somebody to actually sit and write the lyrics and sing it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, uh, you know, I've been sort of, I mean, I've been seeing Simon's uh, posts and Simon, Simon Godfrey, I've been seeing his posts for a while and, and uh, he's got some great stuff. His, you know, uh, his bands like Shine Down and uh, uh, Tiny Fish and yeah. even his, um, just, I really resonated with me and I thought, wow, you know, I should hit him up and see if he's interested. And he's, he was, he seemed to, be inspired and uh, came up with uh, the idea fairly quickly. So it was, uh, he was able to make it happen. And, uh, he's yeah. very talented. I'm, I'm really grateful to have him on that song. Now, I, I also have to preface this by saying 
it's the only song on the album that's like that. Yeah. Um, gotcha. In that style or, or that has vocals? That has vocals for gotcha. one thing. And, and it's a pretty straightforward hard rock kind of song, you know, yeah. like a deep, deep purple kind of vibe or something. Um, yeah. But uh, it's, a, you know, my albums are just a little bit of everything. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, I got the bluesy Jeff Beck kind of vibe thing going on. I got something that sounds like the Neil Morse band, uh, something that sounds a little bit like, you know, late 70s Genesis, something that sounds like uh, maybe a little, well, I, don't, I don't even know who to describe, but some experimental <laughs> kind of stuff. I have this guy, Paul Hansen. He plays the bassoon and he did some soloing <laughs> on one song and the guy just melts your brain. It's Amazing. insane. Uh, and I had a few sort of, you know, contemporary jazz type pieces as well. So, you know, I kind of just, <laughs> I yeah. just kind of put it all on there. And it is a musical journey of sorts. I, the song order uh, creates a nice arc for a, list, a full listening experience if you're going to go top to bottom. Cool. And um, it actually takes you someplace if you, if you let it. And, uh, Anyhow, yeah, I just I just wanted to do a little bit of everything. I was hoping to have more guests than what I did, right. but for whatever and um, what I had was just enough. Is what I needed, and I don't know. It, it seemed to all just be there. I didn't really right. feel like it was missing something, um, you know. So yeah, it, it's uh, done and mixed. I had Jerry Giedras do the mix. And that should, uh, like I said, it's coming out September 1st. And I have a band, which is Randy George Bass, uh, dot bandcamp.com. Nice. George Bass, yeah, dot bandcamp.com. So, uh, and I threw a few things that I still have up there. I have some hard copies of my second solo album, Action Reaction, and CDs from the uh, third Agilon album, which was a band I had back in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And and I have a thumb drive from the Sweet Invention Project, which is uh, a little EP that my wife and I put out back in uh, 2020 as a sort of as a pandemic thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And otherwise, yeah, was... we'd probably still be working on songs and have, you know, try <laughs> to go for a whole album. But, uh, yeah. you know, the pandemic got us feeling like well let's just put out an ep and yeah. just get it out people are but, looking for stuff and so there was that little bit of a silver lining i think for the pandemic in some ways that it did inspire some people to work on some things that maybe they had shelved for a while maybe out of you know time constraints and such or it inspired them because of what was going on and 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 the fortunate thing again this modern world we live in that just like you can record a concert with a laptop, you can record, you know, instrument parts and vocals and things like that at home on a laptop right. or PC and just email them to people. and <laughs> Somebody can assemble them into, you know, a full-fledged song. Um, it's kind of a nice thing to be able to do. And it gives, I think, a lot of added freedom uh, to those who are, are trying to put things together. But I mean, you certainly seem to bring in a solid number of friends uh, for this particular album here. A number of names that are well known, some that are not as well known, but you, know, you, you got some, you got a solid lineup of guest stars on there. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, I have Neil Morris uh, yeah. doing some keyboard stuff. Eric Gillette did some guitar solos. And, uh, you know, it, uh, it, was a, it was a fun experience. Um, and I, I kind of thought maybe I should, I should keep writing and maybe make it a little longer. But I also realized that, you know, there's just a perfect length for an album sometimes. And yeah. for some well, this kind of album, I think it's at its perfect length. It's a good listen at 42 minutes and uh, some, you know, you could pack a lot on a CD. Yeah. We used to do that in the Neil Morris band, 79 minutes, you know, on a CD. And even our keyboard player who at the time wasn't our keyboard player, but he, when he became our keyboard player, he said, you know, the problem I had with those albums was I could never listen to them all the way through in one setting because they're just too long, you know, not like, you know, there were any longer than a movie <laughs> nonetheless it's funny how people treat music um but a lot of times it's on a drive maybe he you know the drive was an hour and he'd like to listen to an album top to bottom on his drive but you know the album 79 minutes so um and i think i get that i get that i think there's a point where you just like uh, you know, skip this song or yeah. three songs from the end and you're done um so i i kept thinking about all that and just decided yeah i think we're at a length that um seems good so yes and i mean there's one thing i've heard regularly from talking to to musicians is that there there can be a real downside to trying to force something to going outside of what feels natural in terms of composing whether it's trying to hit a certain style or hit a certain feel that at times you know when they have pushed themselves to go well i got to try and do this or i got to try and do that it hasn't come out as well as they might have intended because it was forced so in that same thing you know because there's extra time to fill don't necessarily feel like you need to fill it because you might regret it i think musicians in general need to um feel like they're they're achieving their objectives yeah what happens a lot of time though is they're not objective enough about what they're doing right and like i keep trying to make this song like this and i keep trying to do this and it just, oh, it just doesn't seem to be working so well it doesn't want to be that kind of song <laughs> but uh, you got to find what naturally drives you and let it happen because a lot of times i think people will that'll happen and people say oh it sounds too much like this or it sounds too much like that and it's like well, yeah there's reason why and maybe it would be better if you just let it happen instead of trying to force it to be something different the 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 impetus of any song is is going to be reflected so um it's kind of dumb to try to hide the reflection of that it's kind of like having a flower that blooms but you're hiding the middle of it you know and it's like okay well it's not so pretty like a sunflower or something it's like yeah. that does it's just kind of yeah so you 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 really want to be true to what you are as a musician, and sometimes that's hard for people to come to grips with the fact that they listen to so and so all their lives at a very young age, and listen to this and that, and then then they're surprised that they write stuff that sounds like that. You know, yeah. you, we program we program musicians program themselves by the music they listen to, and yeah. I think that's an objectivity that you have to keep in mind when you go about writing music, um, working with guys like Neil, 
a lot of times I hear something that is part of the repertoire that fed into my musical vocabulary, but he doesn't hear it that way. And he'll want to do it this way. And my perception of this way might be, I kind of don't like that as much. It's not doing quite, it's not quite the same thing. Uh, And a lot of times you have to learn to just do things the way that they want to be done and learn to relearn how to listen to it. If you write and and you're always listening, but you're always hearing what you wanted and didn't get, you're always going to be frustrated with your own stuff. Instead of learning to like what it is you already do and learning to listen to what you did without hearing something that you feel isn't there that should be. Right. I don't know if that makes sense, but <laughs> I think it does. And, and it's it's a perspective I've not heard from somebody before. And and so it makes me wonder, you know, to what degree everybody does struggle with that ability to hear their own work objectively. Um, and or listen to somebody else that may have less of an emotional investment in it. Um, it sounds like you're better able to distance yourself at times and 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 take an objective look, or at least it's something you've worked on pretty hard. It was a, it was I I took it a little bit as a challenge when uh, there was one time I was sitting in a Starbucks with uh, Rick Wakeman. and we were just ta- talking and one of the, we kind of touched on a subject and he said. You know, you can never hear your own music for the first time. And that, that statement always stuck with me because wow. I got I totally get what he was saying is that you can never have the experience in your own music of what somebody else experiences when they first hear it. Yeah. You can never have that. You'll never have that objectivity. And I think I, I've thought about that over the years a lot. And I think it's driven me to try to achieve more objectivity and to try to step outside myself and look at it. And um, I, I guess it's just kind of part of my personal journey in, in music. But um, yeah, that, that really inspired me when he said that, because I don't, like you said, I, I don't think a lot of people sit and think about that too hard. Um, but I think it's something that can help you, you know, with, a little bit more of a focused objectivity right and, but that comes with having been disappointed enough times that you learn to let go of disappointment and appreciate what you had in the end yeah and with uh neil morse band stuff there's there's been places i was disappointed that an idea that i had for it didn't make it um does happens and and i and that's I, I don't take it personally it's part of the process that's just what happens in a collaboration um it happens to everybody there are parts that by the time you get to the end something you did just doesn't work anymore right and you just have to let it go but by the time you get to the end you're like listening to the final mix listening to what okay so this is going to be it this is what everybody's going to hear and this is what's etched in time forever and um, learn to listen and appreciate it for what it is. Not again, not looking at the, Oh, I wished it was like that here. I wish it was like there. And over the years, it's funny how you'll go a long, long time without listening to stuff, uh, especially in the catalog. It's like, wow, I haven't heard in 10 years. (laughs) And then you, you do listen to it. And then all of a sudden you don't have any of that previous, you know, uh, uh, the, 
stuff that clouds your judgment with a song, uh, all of that's gone. And you're actually hearing it almost like you are hearing it for the first time, even though you know you're not. Um, In a lot of ways, though, there's a freshness to it that is often surprising because you're kind of, why was I ever, why did I ever want to do it? the other way and with you know i don't, I don't even remember why i wanted to do that or i'm, I'm kind of glad we didn't you know that kind of thing so that's an interesting thought and and honestly i think that's a thought that's gonna I, i'm gonna keep in my brain the idea that you can never hear your own stuff for the first time that's that's pretty damn pro- profound and i think in a similar way sometimes it's it's surprising the reactions you might get from people on things that you created or done or have done. I, I put in the context of myself, I, I will joke around one. I joke around a lot. And two, I joke about the fact that somewhere along the line, I realized that jokes that I thought that made me guffaw almost before I even said them oftentimes fell flat. And the things I thought were just kind of throwaway, you know, uh, comments have had people rolling on the floor. And at that point, I decided I'm just turning off the filter in my brain because clearly it doesn't work well. And I can't predict what people are going to laugh at. So I'm just going to say whatever. And I guess the same experience must be had by musicians at times where you write something that you think this is amazing. This is the best thing I've ever written. And people go, yeah, it's all right. And then there are other things you may have written that, you know, you didn't think too much of at the time. And people just absolutely fell over themselves loving it and praising it. And I, I guess I'm kind of curious when you look back, uh, can you remember occasions on particular songs where that happened, where you were just absolutely shocked at how much people loved something that you didn't feel was your best work? Oh, I, it's, it happens all the time. Yeah. It, and it happens uh, on tours because you'll come off stage and you think, oh, that was an awful show. Oh man, it didn't seem like this was as tight as last night or, you know, in the grand scope of all your shows and you're thinking you remember that one just not being not feeling it it wasn't just didn't quite lock into the pocket and, you know, and then somebody will come up that was the best show i've ever seen in my life you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and and oftentimes i have found we'll go back and listen okay uh, go back and listen to the show and see if it was as bad as i thought it was and I'm listening to it and I'm thinking, well, well, this sounds pretty good. I mean, this isn't as bad as I remember, you know. I think in your mind, um, a few mistakes or just falling yeah. out of here and there can just throw you off enough that you just feel that way the rest of the night, despite the fact that you're still really on. Right. But something can sort of take your your center, take you off center. I want to say at center because when you're in that pocket and everything's clicking the way it should and you're hitting the notes and you just, everybody's just there. And that's what makes those, you know, the performance of you here on, on the CD. But um, as a musician, um, you know, that's because you stay centered in the pocket of the song and in the context and in the groove of the song and you're able to feel it and you take it. Right. All the- and and really you know, sell. And if something throws you off, uh, sometimes it's hard to get recentered and feel like you're recentered. It just yeah. it's 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 tough sometimes. And it's not always even you. It could be somebody else's unfortunate, you know, yeah. 
event. Mike, I remember one show we were doing and Mike put his, uh, put his kick drum head right through the head. He went, put a hole in the head. Oops. And, and, uh, uh, so you got to stop. It breaks your momentum. You can stop, replace the head. And there was only one other head in the building, put it on <laughs> and play a little more. And all of a sudden he stops and he's like, I, it, I did it again. Oh my God. I, I, I think the pads that are supposed to be on there for whatever reason, uh, we didn't have any, it was one of those travel gigs where we had come in from somewhere else and, right. and put all the stuff together. I'm, I'm not sure why everything wasn't there, but it, that's just the kind of thing that can throw you off. And the rest of that show, I just really didn't feel it. Now other people said it was great, but I just, you know, something like that just gets you a little thrown off and throw it. It breaks your momentum. Yeah. Um, it happens so you just have to take it with a grain of salt uh, right. we had this pa shutdown in germany you know a pa is where everything's going through a stage box out to the board through a cat five cable and coming back through in-air monitors so it's an enclosed system right. that you you know take your stereo feed to front of house but the system we travel with and play through comes with us it's not a house system we just use the house speakers um and about 20 minutes before the show it just it died it just totally went down and they messed with it messed with it couldn't get it back up and then they just decided well plan b you know start shifting everything uh to the house pa house uh, mixer and running lines and getting out wedge monitors and and uh, the show started way late we ended up cutting almost half the show Oh no! They were very gracious and right. loved it. A lot of them. I thought that was the, my favorite show of all the ones I saw. Why? So, <laughs> well, we we felt we got to see something very special, yeah. you know. And I'd be like, "Wow," you know. And and they did. Neil had to come out and entertain people for a while on acoustic guitar. Neil and Mike and we, we oh, all wow. kind of did stuff. So yeah. uh, stuff like that can really mess you up uh, when you're trying to <laughs> when you're trying to deliver a great show yeah well there's a certain i guess level of of rhythm and repetition that comes with performing that when you're used to things going smoothly it's almost strictly you know like working out of habit you know like that it's not a matter of you have to think as hard um and and you you're working off of a certain level of muscle and mental reflex and and i suppose once that gets seriously disrupted now all of a sudden you know you've got to start thinking harder than you normally do and that in and of itself trips you up although it sounds like certain times you've experienced the matter of your mind was off but everything else was working normally and nobody else noticed what you noticed which is uh, I guess to a certain extent, a tribute to the subjectivity of our our human experience. That fortunately we're not as bad as we think we are, um, no. even when you know, like we think everybody else can see it. Well, you know, the length and breadth of the music we play. You know, your focus always has to be thinking of, you know, one step ahead. What's the next thing I need to do? And your mind can drift, especially yeah. if you're playing repetition your mind will drift and you forget how many times you are through it and when the, you're supposed to come out of it or you know yeah or you, you just ultimately you miss something if you're not continually focused on 
you know, what's coming next. And, and that's, that's critical. And it takes a lot of the, uh, takes just, it takes a lot out of you to do that for two hours. So, but that's what it's all about though. You know, yeah. you condition yourself to do that. That's what you rehearse and aspire to as a musician yeah. to, to, be able to deliver the performance that you want to deliver. Yeah. So. And it's amazing because you're talking about the, the level of complexity and the extensive compositions, the long songs that uh, you're going to be playing as part of the Neil Morse band, you know, that, that, that's, uh, that takes a lot. That does, I imagine, taking a ton of mental focus at the same time. It makes me wonder at times how often does somebody slip something in that was an error that the rest of us don't pick up on because we're, we're not that in tune with it. Maybe it gives you a little bit of margin for error that you can kind of go off a little bit from up there, realize, oops, did a boner and then just continue on. And everybody else goes, yeah, that's cool. We can do that. You know, that's that level of professionalism. I think that uh, if somebody rails and it's not going to stop the train, yeah, maybe they just missed, you know, a beat, right. You know, you can catch it and just adjust yeah. to it. Just everybody just sort of adjusts to it. Uh, and that's, that's a good skill to be able to develop. It takes playing together for a while to yeah. uh, do that. And a lot of this stuff, you just don't, you can't really learn unless yeah. you're in front of an audience. You've got to learn it in, in the shows. You can, you can rehearse it all you want, but you know, in the show, you don't get to stop and try it again. Yeah. You know, yeah. Just, and, and rehearsal is repeating how it's supposed to go. It's not practicing how it's not supposed to go. And you're supposed to come back from that. That's the upside of playing live because that's where the experience happens. It's all about the delivery, you know, yeah. staying focused and listening to each other. And, uh, you know, and, and the, if, if you, if you do, the first few shows, you're always going to have bugs and you're always going to be working out the kinks. Yeah. But by six, seventh, eighth shows, ninth, tenth, you're all of a sudden, it's there. You're not thinking about it anymore. You just can go out, play the music, and have fun. Yeah. For the tour. That's the best I've way. Gotten to, I can, yeah, it would, I can play through the show in my sleep because we'd done enough <laughs> shows to where uh, I didn't have to really think too hard about what was next. It was just, yeah. it's just wind it up and let it go <laughs> <laughs> and that's amazing thing to me i i, I am a one who admires musicians i am not one who ever really was a musician um and at times you know hey could i do it all over again maybe what i try to be sure but meanwhile i get to watch you guys do your work on stage and and get to admire what happens up there and hey if errors are made and i'm all i'm not aware doesn't matter to me <laughs> And I know you guys are professional enough to recover from all of it, as as most are, I would imagine, if they're on stage performing in front of a whole bunch of people. Yeah, it's just what you learn when you're out there. Yeah. The stuff happens along the way. And, uh, you know, over the years, you just you learn to just deal with it quickly and efficiently. And maybe people won't even realize anything went wrong. And they probably and most of the time they don't. They really right. don't. Yeah. Um, so excellent yeah all right sir well i appreciate your time with me this afternoon uh, i really thank you for your generosity and and taking the time to speak with me uh 
I know that there are all kinds of things you could be doing, but you took a little time out of the day with me. And that's, uh, again, much appreciated. Oh, no problem. Happy to do it. Yep. So we got An Evening of Innocence and Danger live in Hamburg. That's out now. Beyond Words, that's coming out September 1st. That's your solo project. And other than that, I guess uh, you've come off the tour for the time being. And I think what you just finished Morse Fest, right? No, no, no. No, is that coming up still? In August, yes. August, okay. Got my dates mixed up there. In that rehearsal mode where I basically am playing through the shows. Right. um, Excellent. All right. Doing what I have to do, but I can stop. (laughs) I can still stop and do it again. There you go. Excellent. So good. That's coming up. See, I make mistakes like that so you can correct me and help promote the show on your own. (laughs) I do that for purpose. (laughs) all right sir well i thank you very much take care i wish you the best uh of success with all of it i hope it goes really really well for you and enjoy morse fest i hope it's a great time great thank you so much i gotta say i love talking to veterans in the business in the music field they they've got such great perspective they typically are so grounded and and have so much wisdom to impart about the business and about what it is to play in the band and create music and to just, you know, what it takes to be a great musician. And Randy was all of that, obviously. I just want to say another big thank you to Randy George for sitting down talking to me about all of this. Wish you and the rest of the band much success with the live album. I hope that is a, a big hit for you. Sounds amazing, especially that cover of Bridge Over Troubled Water. Love that. I can see why that has become a concert favorite for you guys. And I hope the solo project turns out to be really, really successful for you. Like what I'm hearing so far. So that bodes well. And certainly the back catalog suggests that uh, anybody that's into some really cool and eclectic instrumental music is going to love the project. So remember, folks, An Evening of Innocence and Danger, live in Hamburg, is out now. Beyond Words, Randy's new solo project, will be due out in September. So keep an eye out for that as well. You can pre-order it on his Bandcamp page. Easy peasy, right? I think you can all handle that. So once again, thank you very much, Randy George. I really appreciated talking to you. Thanks for joining me once again for another episode of Bleeding Edge Interviews. Don't forget, tune in to Toxic Radio every Sunday, all day Sunday, for the all Prague, all day Brain Salad Sunday. That's where you get to hear all the music that we just spent time talking about. In addition, you can locate me out there in the world of social media, whether it's on Twitter, where you can find me at bleeding triple underscore, that's three underscores, edge, or maybe on Facebook, where you can find me at bleeding edge show. Or last but not least, you can also locate me on Instagram, bleeding underscore edge underscore show. Matter of fact, I'm also on threads now at this point in time with that same handle. Find me there. Let me know what you think of the show. Let me know what you think about Prague. Let me know what you think about what you had for dinner tonight. Doesn't matter. Check me out. Give me the like and the follow. And thanks once again for joining me for Bleeding Edge Interviews. And remember, don't be afraid to deviate from the norm. Keep it Prague. This is Super Dave signing off. (laughs) 